Hi, my name is Chris Little, and I am the host of The Lifestyle Chase. In 2018, I started this show to have meaningful conversations. I've interviewed over a hundred different people, both in and out of the fitness industry. This podcast is something I'm incredibly proud of. Welcome to Season 4. Thanks for joining me. All right, so welcome back to the Lifestyle Chase. I have brought my friend Nick Sorrell back for his third appearance on the show. Um, He previously appeared on the show for episode 54 on July 2019, and then he came back. I think it was a combination episode with Austin Current, uh, episode 139, August 2020, and so like when we really think about it like a lot of time has passed uh, there's lots to catch up on but uh, first and foremost I want you to introduce yourself to my audience as though they're brand new to you and have never met you before for sure well for some people the new people they probably haven't right um yeah man my, my name is Nick Thrill. I'm a friend of Christian's uh I work primarily as a strategy consultant so helping people you know find clarity with their work um, make their ideas better, but also figure out how to follow through with the ideas. So that's primarily what I do with work. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, like it, it's been a long time coming. We banter back and forth quite a bit on social media and it's kind of fun to maintain that connection. And you're on my list of people that I'm going to visit when I do my, uh, tour of the U S just going to different yeah. gyms and eating different foods. It'll be a good time. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Louisville is ready for you. You just let me know and I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you the whole rundown. Excellent. Excellent. I love to hear that. Um, so if we encapsulate the time that has passed between, let's say, August 2020 and now, what are the big things that stand out to you? Just like as you woke up today with what's on your mind, what are what's kind of uh, screaming out at you today? So, so yeah, so two years ago, I guess, yeah, so that was like right as lockdown hit, huh? Yeah, um, yeah so in the past two years, uh, it's a lot of the same work in terms of like what I do professionally. The big difference now is a lot of like, so I help people, like I said, like with their, their creative output, whether it be content marketing, you know, sales promotions, whatever. Um, and while that has often, you know, it's my sort of creative side, uh, I, I've never spent a lot of time like actually creating my own work. It's always been for other people. So the biggest thing, the biggest difference between now and then is just me pursuing my own creative work, actually trying to get out there, share my thoughts, stuff like that. And that has both made me a better practitioner in terms of like helping others because I see things I didn't see before just by going through the process. Um, but it's also been extremely just, I don't know, cathartic for me, um, enlightening for me and, and a process I'm really enjoying just kind of being not just someone who helps someone else create, but someone that creates things themselves. So that's the big, big difference. Mm-hmm. One thing that I think often, I don't know, in my in my interpretation goes unmentioned is the amount of work that you have done with other professionals, other brands and stuff like that. So like, what is your role in like the creative process? Like where, where do you come in as the, the consultant and what, what's the outcome of that work that you do with other people? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Yeah, it's always tough to like talk about that stuff because you don't want to like leverage other people's names and stuff like that or like seem like a name dropper but yeah like typically when someone comes to me it's very much a they are having trouble there's a few different layers they're having trouble figuring out which idea to follow you know entrepreneurship is in fact it's it's creative you're literally creating a business that didn't exist right it's creative and and one of the downfalls of creativity 
is that you can do whatever the fuck you want. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of people end up with paralysis by analysis. A lot of people that gravitate towards me like ideas um, and people who like ideas tend to collect too many ideas and don't know where to go from there. So a lot of it starts with teaching people which idea to follow, which idea is the idea, um, kind of helping people understand like you can't follow everyone. So you have a bunch of good ideas. Let's find the great one. Um, from there, it's a lot of like trying to make it better, right? So like, hey, I'm doing this. How do I make this better? How do I improve the process? Whether it be, you know, strategic, right? In terms of like promotions and stuff like that, or just the way you run your business, um, new offers, things like that. And then really it's, it's just a lot of like collaborative effort, right? So at every stage of the process, whether someone's creating an onboarding sequence for a client, um, running a promotion to their email list, trying to figure out what type of content to get out there, um, I very much get in the weeds with them and, and help them refine their messaging. And, and also, I, I'm always trying to refer it back to the person. That's something I think a lot of people don't realize. A lot of people hire someone like me and they think that I just have like this, like, you know, straight up to, like to do list. Like if you do one through five, it, your shit's going to pop. It's not that at all. Like it's very much trying to figure out what is right for the person. Right. So trying to augment their strengths, double down their strengths, but also trying to refine it. Right. Trying to open up the blind spots and stuff like that. So. People coming to me, like I said, at the very beginning, trying to figure out which way to go. People come to me trying to improve the process um, and people come to me trying to take the next step. And, and it's it's very varied from there. So I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but that's kind of the kind of the workflow. Well, I mean, on the note of like working with other people and then you mentioned working on your own branding, your own creativity, something that uh, stood out to me as I was kind of deciding, oh, let's get Nick back on the podcast was just your mm -hmm. whole thing of uh, building in public um that's yeah. something that i really liked so describe to the the viewers or the listeners what building in public is to you yes so so there's a lot of reasons i started creating right i started getting stuff out there i'm very lucky that all my business to this point has come word of mouth so i work with somebody i do a good job and then you know they have a friend that needs help like, oh fuck nick's really good at this um, and I'm very extremely lucky in that sense. I don't, I haven't had to run ads or, you know, do anything like that. Um, so for me, like being creative, a lot of it was wanting to like itch my inner creator. Um, but another part was like, Hey, I want to test all this stuff that I tell other people to do. You know, I, I often tell people like, Hey, you know, cause a lot of people when they start creating, it doesn't get the, the traction they hope. Right. And people get discouraged by that. Like, oh, fuck, I guess I'm not good at this or it's not working or I should do something else. And that's when they start to get the shiny object syndrome. And I often tell people like, hey, if you're just consistent, this stuff always pops. No one has done something consistently, put themselves out there for months, if not years, and stuff not grown to some degree. Now, the degree can vary from like a unicorn type business that really explodes or just a business that you can, you can get by on, you can live on, you can have an actual life with. Um, but the stuff that does eventually pop. So I, I, I found myself telling people that all the time, realizing that it is, it's a hard thing to, to buy into because you do get discouraged when shit doesn't hit the way you hope. Like we all do, like when it, we all know likes don't matter, but when you post something you really enjoy and you worked hard on, it doesn't get a big reaction. It, it hurts your feelings. So I wanted to see if, if that whole consistency theory, if it actually worked out. So I started creating a few months back, just trying to test it because one or two things have happened, right? I would either prove it and I could then reference it with my work and kind of go through the process and learn it. Or, right, I realized like, oh shit, you, actually some stuff just doesn't hit and you like consistency doesn't work and I need to stop saying that, right? So I started doing it and stuff did start to hit. And every step of the way, I'm very much trying to learn each step. So like, hey, how do you get attention? How do you get shares? 
once you get attention, right? How do you capture those eyeballs, you know, and, and funnel them to wherever you want, whether it be an email list or, you know, signing up for a service or like whatever. And throughout this process, because I am learning, right, actively, I figured I would share it because I've always enjoyed. And I think we are very similar in this sense. I've always loved people that built in public and not just like created things and shared them, but like shared them and, and you know, explain like, hey, this is why I'm doing this. This is what I'm trying to figure out. This is what I found. Um, and the people I tend to be the biggest fans of, pretty much all of them have done that. Um, and what's so cool is whenever you do find someone like on the way up with that, like, like you see them actively building the public before their shit pops, because you get to, it feels like you're part of the journey on this, right? It's very personable. You learn a lot from it. And I, I figured if I, you know, I admire people that do that. I figured why not, you know, reflect that type of behavior myself and do it myself. And, uh, it's crazy because when I first did it, like the day after I felt like very self-conscious about it for some reason. Um, and that was like eye opening too, but it's been cool because a lot of people have, like, as you said, a lot of people have really liked it. And it's very confirming that like people do like to see people being people like learning, not being perfect, not everything being polished, like really getting the chance to see, you know, how the dough is made or, or whatever. Um, so that's, you know, a little long winded, but that's kind of the thought process behind, you know, why I've been building in public, my thinking behind it. Um, and it's still going on. You know what I'm saying? Like every step of the way, I'm trying to really figure something out before I add something in. And when I figure stuff out, I like to share it. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, for anybody who doesn't understand like your creative process, let's go back like maybe six months in time and just like, mm. what is it that you are currently doing that you have been consistent in? And how did you come to that creative process? Like what, what inspired you? What kind of went into that? Yeah. So, so I started creating pretty consistently like late November, early December. So like four and a half months ago or so. Um, and I, and I think most creatives can resonate with this. We tend to kind of build stuff out too big in our head. So we get too fancy with like our ideas. Like you have this idea about like a fucking macro article, but in your head, it's running like a Christian Bay movie or Christian. Is it Christian Bay? The Transformers guy? Um, uh, that, whatever. That's like Michael like, Bay or something Michael like Bay. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael <laughs> Bay. Yeah, it's running like a Transformers film in your head and it's just an article. Yeah. So we build things out too much. And that's why I think a lot of people never end up being consistent is the they present themselves with too many friction points, right? So it's like, yeah, I want to write this article, but I need to shoot like a promo video. I need to tease it. I need to like, you know, like find the right clips and get the right graphics. And like, it just gets way too big, right? So with me, and I've seen people go through this, I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn from other people's mistakes. And I'm going to try to find something that removes all the friction points, at least as many as possible and find something that I'll actually do consistently because none of it matters if I don't do it, right? Like you can have the best idea in the world, but if it's not followed through on, it doesn't, it's not really, you know, it's not worth much. Um, so for me, I was following a guy named Jack Butcher at the time. And if you're familiar with him and visualize value, um, which I think you are, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, a lot of his stuff, you can see like the inspiration between the two, but with him, he had mentioned a lot of times, there's a quote from Tim Ferriss that he had shared with me. That's like, make one decision to eliminate a thousand decisions and creatively, what that meant to him and, and what resonated with me is a lot of people, because they build up out all these ideas, they get so caught in like the fluff. So they start like overthinking stuff that no one will notice except for them, like the fonts they use, you know, and if you start looking at too many fonts, they all start to look the same. Right. Um, so they start overthinking the fonts and the colors and the, 
you know, should this be a, like a graphic? Should this be like me walking down a street, talking to the camera? Like they start to, there's too many options, right? So with him, you know, you make one decision, you eliminate a thousand. And for him, it was like, hey, pick a single color palette. Don't change it up. Pick a single, you know, one or two fonts or, or whatever, and, and don't switch it up. Pick a, like, a, 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 like a style of creativity. Don't switch it up. Just do that. Just focus on that. That removes so much noise. And also what it does is it kind of puts the onus on you as a creator to actually be creative. Like when you can't use all that other stuff as a crutch, which I think we often do, like, oh, I'm going to have these cool colors and this swipe's going to like, you know, half the graphics going to be that page and half the graphics going to be on that page and they fit perfectly. And then we build this stuff out. Whenever you remove all that, you actually have to be creative. And as a creator, like that's, that's what you want, right? You want a chance to, to do that. And it's the only reason you're doing the shit, right? Is to express yourself. Um, so removing all that, it did. It removed all the friction points. It was very simple. It allowed me to get into it and just start expressing the idea as I'm creating, as opposed to having to worry about all the other stuff. Um, and that's, that's really what it was. Okay, I'm going to remove all the friction points and, and see if I can do it consistently. And, and, I, and I did, you know, for 45 days straight, I think is what it was, or something like that. I uh, posted a graphic every single day, right? Because I wanted to really build that habit too. And now it, I've pulled back some, but I feel like at the beginning, there is a lot of value in like overreaching. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Just to really get that footing. And then you pull back into what is your natural kind of cadence. Um, and that helped me kind of foster like, you know, repetition and like making time for it. Because there were a lot of days where it'd be like non-PM. And I'm like, fuck, I haven't posted something. But then you force yourself to. And then you get used to like, getting yourself to do this stuff so yeah that's kind of been my creative process if that if that makes sense at all um up until this point yeah well i mean there's a lot of things that you spoke to that uh, were relatable for me i mean when i reflect on my podcast i started it in like september 2018 and uh the i guess the cadence at which i was putting out episodes exceeded anybody else that i knew And then Mm -hmm. it got to the point where I could just slow down because I kind of had an idea of what I was doing, but I had already put out so much content that it got to the point where my audience, it it didn't matter to my audience when I put out the episode because Mm -hmm. I had such a volume of content. I had been so consistent for so long that I was starting to reap the rewards of that. And I'll even like speak to something that I noticed this past week, which is really cool because I recently switched from Podbean to Substack for my podcast Mm -hmm. and I've had to pay for Podbean every year and Substack I don't have to pay for anything that's nice yeah (laughs) and like the listenership 10x I was stunned like I just I didn't do anything unusual is just a totally different audience and caught me off guard in the best way possible and oh, just, so for like Substack, do they do they kind of like share your stuff with their audience too? Is that does that kind of happen? Do you think? So to kind of like unpack it all, like Substack as a platform has become a very popular space for writers, mm-hmm. um, and it's almost like an afterthought that they're a podcast platform. Like mm. when looking into it, I almost didn't take it seriously as a podcast platform, and then I just looked at it, and there was no cons. Like it was. You weren't limited to how much you put on there. Um, It didn't negate your ability to go on other platforms and stuff. Like if anybody's actually listening to this episode, like this is probably one of the best pieces of advice. Just take your podcast and put it on Substack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's kind of interesting. That's why I asked. I'm like, I wonder what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because when people are searching for topics within articles, 
then my the the description of my podcast comes up the uh, ah. names people are searching for and then like my podcast and specifically i'm not just like a 20 episode show like yeah. i have produced like in total like 300 episodes and there's going to be at least wow. like 230 episodes on my substack platform you got to leverage their like their platform search engine yeah it's it's wild yeah. and just yeah, like that's, that's dope the variety of topics because I don't stay within the lines of the fitness industry all the time. Sometimes I kind of stray away. The The last episode I had my friend talk about NFTs and the film industry. Mm. Oh yeah. That one probably hit. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Well, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, one thing I will say real quick about what you said about like how at the beginning you got stuff out very quickly. I think something that goes underlooked in that process is a, you start to develop like social equity so initially when you first start doing something, a lot of people are wondering, like, like in your case, like, hey, what like what is Chris doing? Like yeah. he's doing this podcast now. But you get the reps in and you and you become prolific in terms of just doing it consistently and often. And people start they go from wondering what you're doing to knowing what you're doing. You start to get social equity there. But also, and this is as much a question as it as it is a thought, I would assume that that period of like getting stuff out quickly probably like dramatically accelerated like your growth, your quality, your ability to get stuff out, not just better, but quicker, more efficiently. I would assume that probably happened too, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I can kind of unpack that for anybody that's uh, paying attention here. Like in the first couple of years, I had to deal with like different equipment malfunctions. Like I started mm -hmm. off with a microphone that I had from like five years ago. I mean, right. at that time, five years ago. And I just made use of it. My laptop bugged out a few times. Um, there's been plenty of times that for the, because of technology, like the audio just dropped. Um, I mean, we've experienced the audio drop, but yeah. that was because yeah. of like a technical error. There's been probably four episodes that I've had to completely redo where I got mm -hmm. like the guests to come back and we re-recorded the whole thing. There's been episodes where there's been like a ticking noise in the background um episodes where just through communication i didn't get like the video feed when i started doing like video podcasts and so i had mm -hmm. to kind of pivot and um create different uh, alternatives for for a wnba player that i had on the show i actually oh, created a hype dope. video for her yeah <laughs> because we, <laughs> we didn't it. have a, a video feed but i wanted to like amplify her yeah. um and so that was just kind of what i came up with and th so through that process I gained a very quickly monetizable skill in being very efficient and thorough in podcast editing because like yeah. nobody had that same amount of practice like, unless you're professionally trained. Bro. Yeah. So that, yes. So there's like a few things here is like, whenever you first start one, like, like I said, you get discouraged if people don't immediately like your stuff. One thing to keep in mind is also, you know, it's them wondering, them not knowing. So that, that thing is going on. But also like when you start like you're not that good yet and i think that kind of breaks people's brains sometimes like you put it out there and you try so hard and it's the best you could do when you first start, of course you're not good right it's, it's a brand new thing right like like most people the first time they do anything kind of suck right or and even if you're good for a beginner uh, you're still a beginner right but then you you get the reps in and you also just get better so like that stuff compounds so quickly and i i, I think you saw that um is like your you know your 30th podcast wasn't just like incrementally better it was like exponentially better right um and the stuff just like 
it gets higher quality. So people like, and that feeds into the whole consistency thing. Eventually stuff, stuff pops because you get traction. Eventually stuff pops because you put into practice and, and you got better at it, right? Like the quality was just higher. Um, so I think that's a, a big thing, but also, and this is something I think goes overlooked too, is whenever you start creating in any, any type of way, like whether it be graphics, blog articles, videos, podcasts, right there, even if the stuff doesn't work, it will, right. If you stick with it, but even if it doesn't work, you are getting something out of it. You are developing, as you just said, this very valuable skill of being able to produce a podcast or create a visual or write or whatever. Um, so like in the worst case scenario, I'm wrong. The consistency theory doesn't work, but now you have a skill set that, that does work, right. That, that is valuable, even if it's not your own stuff, helping other people. Um, so like, there's like, it's so crazy. Cause like, it's like, we don't want to go down that path for all like the obvious immediately uncomfortable reasons, but there's like, and like a laundry list of benefits, right? You're going to get better. Eventually stuff will pop. You're going to develop a skill, like all this stuff. And I think that's what leads to that inflection point is like all this stuff starts to compound so fast that it just bubbles up and eventually the, the bubble bursts. Right. Um, so I just thought that was very interesting because as you were talking, I'm like, I, I, I kind of, that's like one of the things that I had noticed initially that I kind of forgot about, but it's so like if creating, there's a selfish benefit, like even if it doesn't work out, like it's uh, so there, I don't know, like there's no losing. It's like a win every which way if you just like keep going, you know? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I've taken note of recently and I kind of use my nieces as an example, I still remember like the days that they were born as like being, it feels like yesterday, it feels like a very recent phenomena, but like it's, it was nine and 13 years ago, like time flies very quickly. And so yeah. the same goes in relation to, things that we're trying to do consistently um, in the sense that like the first little bit you start off and like the first like couple of years, it kind of seems like time is going slow and it seems like you mm -hmm. have forever. Um, but then when you build in those habits, like for like a family member or something, you have this habit that like, okay, like holidays and birthdays and stuff, we see these people. And then uh, as the year goes by, we kind of go through the flow of everything else, but we know what to expect and we know how to do things and we know um, how to approach situations. And then just like our references of time change because we became used to those like routines. And that's kind of what I found with the podcast. Like now I reflect, I'm like, okay, that started, oh man, like that's a lot of years ago. Like I still feel like it was just yesterday that I started yeah. the podcast. Yes, uh, that's what whenever we had first spoken, you were like, yeah, you, your first episode was like, because it doesn't seem that long ago, it was like July 2019 or something you had said that that's insane to me because yeah. it doesn't feel that far away at all. And I think time, I think you said like said it perfect, like time is so bizarre because like it goes slower than we wish, like in the moment, but faster than we realize. And a really good example is kind of what you said, like, hey, if someone told you like, hey, if you do this consistently, it'll pay off in two years. People are like, oh, that's so long. Yeah. But if you ask them to like, hey, like, like, you know, COVID, it, 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 you know, think back when it hit, does that feel recent? If you're like, yeah, it feels like yesterday. And that was, you know, two years ago now or whatever it was. Um, so like the time, once it's passed, it, it, it's so fast. It's just, we build it up so much in our head. And the thing too is like, like I said, like we delusionally wish it to go faster, but it does go faster than we realize. But also like it's gonna pass regardless, right? So two years is gonna pass. And like, as you mentioned, it happens so quick. So either you're going to 
So yeah, like the time is going to pass regardless, right? So you're going to look up two years from now and, you know, have the thing you wanted, or you're going to look up and be like, fuck, if I'd started two years ago, I'd already be there. But then in the moment again, you're probably going to fall into the same cycle of like, uh, two years is too long and you're going to kick the can down the road again. And then real shit, eventually the thing's just never going to happen. You're never, you're like, you're never going to do it. Right. Um, so like, yeah, like it's like time is going to pass. Right. And it happens fast. So like just plant the seed today and like, it's going to, that's the thing is like, if you plant this, like if you go outside and you plant a seed for a tree, it eventually grows. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how it works. Like it eventually turns into something huge. If you don't plant the seed, nothing grows. And it's really just the, the choice of whether or not you're going to start and plant the seed um, and, and start putting forth the actions and water it and all the inputs, you know, re you know required to get the output um, or you don't. Right. And I think that's something that sometimes people forget just because they can't have it right now. You know, I mean, one of the most helpful things a person can do is literally plant like a tree or something like that. Because yeah. like I yeah. when I was like 14 or maybe 12, like my dad helped me plant like a few spruce trees and like they're still growing today and they're like 20 feet tall that's crazy i would yeah. have never guessed that would happen <laughs> yeah. and like spruce trees yeah. don't grow fast like a poplar tree that thing will spring up pretty quick but like a spruce tree takes years but then i mm -hmm. reflect i'm like okay well like i mean a decade and a half has probably passed since i planted that tree um maybe even two decades and uh like time does pass by quickly but yeah one thing that i wanted to kind of dig into because it's something that pops up for me like for myself when i'm drawing inspiration from things i try to look outside of like the arena in which i dwell professionally so like being primarily in the fitness industry i try to learn from people like maybe in a restaurant industry or maybe uh doctors or nurses or teachers and, and just people who are interacting and learning lessons in, in different scopes uh what mm -hmm. about yourself like what what influences your creative sparks when you're creating content and when, you, when you're thinking differently yeah yeah no i think that's a, a huge thing i think sometimes we like you start to because we're also connected now with social media like whatever industry you're in like it's like if someone is listening they're in the restaurant industry I would assume their social media is probably like their feed is probably heavily other restaurant workers right and what happens is all the opinions start to kind of become an echo chamber and to some degree that's that could be good right if everybody's talking about something that may mean it's important the problem with that though is it becomes kind of hard to have a creative idea and creativity a lot of times isn't just like pulling something out of nowhere it's having like you know one side of the coin like the idea and you know seeing like another kind of take on another concept and kind of like marrying the two that's really where creativity kind of like you know blooms um so yeah so for me and I, I think i think it's good that you do this and i think most people like will tell you that that's kind of the trick is like stealing concepts from like you know adjacent fields or, or totally unrelated fields maybe um for me i you can kind of get anywhere whether it's like media like a you know a song or like whatever but for me, I, I, I very much enjoy listening to like podcasts and read articles about like tech startups so people starting apps and stuff like and starting like tech businesses, just because it is relatable enough to what a lot of people I'm working with are doing and what I'm trying to do. But I really do think that like, especially like the tech field for me anyway, and the startup kind of phase of it in, in general is that's where like all the growth happens. Like the best business minds in the world are the, are the businesses right before they pop. Like everyday businesses are popping off, right? They're exploding. 
And that, that point where they're growing and they're right before the inflection point, that's where all the innovation is happening. And so I love, I love learning from that because it's just the best, most creative minds like, that are just in the shit, really working. But also one thing that's cool about like tech in particular is it's creative. You're building it. Like I said, like you're making something out of nothing. But tech has to be very logical. It has to be very like, you know, ones and zeros. You know what I'm saying? Um, inputs and outputs. Um, so they have this like cool approach of like forcing things to be grounded in simplicity but being very like complex and creative off the back of that and i think that the marrying of the two is, is really where i get a ton of ideas and and sometimes like i when something's too like too adjacent or something i'm not that interested in sometimes i'll like balk at the at the uh at listening to it like for example the other day i was into a podcast and it was a dude talking about performance marketing I had no idea actually, which sounds silly, what performance marketing was. It's like ads and stuff like that, like paid marketing. Um, I figured it was just marketing that performed well, which sounded interesting, you know? Yeah. So I almost turned it off, but because I don't, I don't run ads with anybody. Like I don't run ads myself. So I was like, I don't even want that idea in my head because then I'll start thinking about it, but I'm, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. So like, I just don't want the distraction. So then I was like, you know what? I'm going to listen to it anyway and like just see if I can pick up concepts. And sure enough, like, like I did, um, like, just like little tiny things that, that once again, that's what you do. You, you hear this concept that works for their business in whatever type of way. And you take the concept, not the tactical how to, but the concept, and then you apply it to your own work. And that's how a lot of like very innovative ideas happen. So yeah, I get, I, I consume almost no like, like fitness coach, like strategy and stuff like that. Like, like almost no, unless it's just like a friend that posts it or something like that. Um, it's all from unrelated fields. It, like I have zero ideas that are like come from my own, you know, my own kind of track. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's just an important, uh, piece to the puzzle. I've had lots of other discussions with other, uh, colleagues in the industry and it's just like where you draw inspiration from, because it's like, we have to think different and we have to do things that haven't necessarily been done sometimes. And then we can't just wait mm -hmm. for somebody else to do it and ask how they did it. Cause it's kind of like limiting what we can possibly do. Yeah. Um, when I was preparing for this episode, I did a bit of a dive down the rabbit hole with visualized value. And one of the yeah. things that sort of stood out is just like what it all encompasses. Like he's putting out the content, he's building that brand, but then you go to the website and there's all these courses and things to kind of work on. Um, is that something that's kind of inspired you in any way at all? Yeah. So he, he has so many good takes just creatively and he is wildly creative. Um, like just his ability to take like something very complex and simplify it, compress it to like the nth degree is, is insane. With that said though, I also just love his take on like just business in general, like the importance of like leverage. So for example, like in a service-based business, like there's only so much you to go around, right? Um, like you, you can only handle so many one-on-one -on -one clients, right? And at that point, the only way to grow further is you charge more, but there, there's a, there's a breaking point, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, Netflix as an example is kind of experiencing this now, they kind of topped out their, their demographic, be, probably because of like password sharing, they've been increasing prices, but there's a breaking point to where if you increase prices, your, your net revenues can go down because people are going to cancel. Um, so like with service-based business, same thing, you can only handle so many people, like just your personal bandwidth. Jack does a really good job of explaining like leverage, like, hey, he had, like one of his courses, for example, is build once, sell twice, right? And the concept that's kind of the concept of a course, right? You build it once and it sells multiple times. Um, so you have that one hour of work and you get 
however many returns, you know, however many purchases that you can funnel attention to and, and convert, right? Um, so yeah, a lot of inspirations come from that because it really, I, I do have trouble. Like I could, like, I can only work with so many people before my quality starts to suffer. Um, so being more focused and trying to get, figure out ways to get a bigger return is for me, at least the, like the, the idea, the goal. And I think for most people, that is the goal. Like you think of any business owner, eventually they start to, to search for leverage in any field and leverage comes a few different ways. It comes via like automation, like courses and stuff like that. It also comes via like manpower, right? So if you're a very successful coach and you want to scale, you hire other coaches, that's a form of leverage. Um, capital is another one. So if you own a gym, you can buy other gyms or other restaurants or whatever your field is. Um, so every, in every phase of business, leverage is actually where the ceiling starts to get raised. Um, and if you don't do that, and you can obviously, some people just want to coach, right? And that's totally fine. There is a ceiling there though. So it's, and if you're cool with that, 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 that like, there's nothing wrong with that. For me though, I don't want to have to keep like hustling to that degree to hit the ceiling. So yeah, there's a lot of inspiration I've gotten from it. Um, one thing with Jack though, that I will say is because I was so inspired by his stuff. And I think this is important is it, it obviously influenced me. And when I first started creating, he was the model. So I, I imitated it, right? Um, and whenever I was, you know, in years past, anytime I would work with somebody, very often, anybody I would work with, even wildly creative people, you can see clear influences in their work, right? Like, so, you know, I, I, I won't name names, but I would see like directly, bro, that's like a Mark Manson thing, verbatim, damn near, right? Or uh, Ron Holiday or whoever. And I used to kind of like turn my nose up at it for some reason. I'm like, like, dude, you're better than that. Like, why are you echoing this dude? But then I realized like, because those were old words, that that's how everybody starts. You all, like, we all start by imitating the model. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's how you learn. Like whenever you start trying to, you know, shoot a basketball or, or whatever, you shoot it like the, how the coach tells you to shoot. And you start trying to shoot like your favorite player. And like you imitate until you finally, eventually find your own game. So with Jack, a lot of inspiration and finding myself echoing him was good because I realized that that's just part of the process. I think sometimes people worry too much about like seeming like somebody else that they, they don't take, you know, the, the steps or whatever, or they try to like save themselves from that imitation and in ways that doesn't actually save you. Like when I first started, I, um, he does all black and white, just like me. Right. Um, and I was like, Oh, well, I'll do like a blue or something like that. As if that makes it any different. Yeah. Like as if like the blue imitation still is an imitation, right? So I was like, no, I'm just going to do me. I'm going to do my thing. I'm just going to break the fact that to me, black and white is what feels most natural um, for whatever reason. I think you and I are similar, like just drawn to like black, white, like simple colors. Um, and like I just embraced it, allowed myself to imitate it, realize it's part of the process. It's how you learn. With that said, though, after a while, I did start to find myself echoing him a little too much. Like my ideas, like it's one thing to borrow his paintbrush and learn how to paint like him. It's another thing to to like take his ideas and echo, echo those too. And whenever I started to catch myself do that, I'm like, okay. I, so I've started to kind of get the, the feel for how to create this way. I'm going to stop listening to him entirely because I wanted my own ideas to start to kind of filter through. And, and that's what happens as I kind of stopped paying attention to his stuff. My own ideas started filtering through. This stuff became more my, more my own. I became more confident in it also. Um, so now like when someone's like, oh, isn't that kind of like digitalized values? And it that would have probably bothered me initially because I would have been self-conscious about being a ripoff or something. Um, but now as I've taken the time to kind of grow up myself, like 
or you know figure out my own way it makes just makes me more confident and what was cool is the minute not the minute but like very quickly after i started doing my own thing with it that's when shit blew up like that post started to go viral and i started to get a lot of traction and attention for me anyway um and it was just like like i said like every step of the way it's just been a learning experience like oh cool so imitation is how you learn i didn't know that i always turned my nose up at it and that's just a byproduct of me not having gone through the process myself so i very much had to be humble and learn right um but also the confirmation is like hey you know you started doing your own way and that doesn't mean that you know because i think sometimes we think they're like oh do it doing it their way is the only way to make it work for me the minute i started doing it my own way that's when it actually started working and that was confirmation too so it's just like every step of the way um like you're just constantly learning um and recently i've started to allow myself to like digest this content again just because i do just love the god's takes on creativity business strategy all that stuff um but it's nice because now i don't feel like an imitation anymore and i think that's such an empowering thing that people overlook i did a call with a guy yesterday um mike dola actually and we um we spoke about that and he was talking about how he liked my stuff but he didn't want to like seem like the same thing and i i told him the same thing i just told you i'm like bro when i started it was like just like imitate me do it just figure it out like i don't own the fucking stock clearly um just do it because if you do it you're gonna get the reps in you're gonna figure out your own way and it'll slowly start to become your own stop trying to like like worry about sounding so much like somebody else allow it to happen obviously don't plagiarize right like make sure it's your own work just very you know influenced to whatever degree it'll eventually become your own as you get proficient in like that that style so that was a lot of uh, a lot a lot of a lot of uh comments to one question but yeah that's kind of like been my journey with you know being inspired by jack which for anybody listening visualized value is an amazing amazing ad to follow and stuff like that he's brilliant guy Mm -hmm. well i mean just like in listening to your response there there's a lot of things that i want to add context to like some people they'll hear something and they'll be kind of like uh resistant to it just because of their own experiences they'll be like well no i need to be completely original but one way to quickly contextualize it is like what do we think like an internship is or what do we think a mentorship is is literally taking uh being under somebody else's wing and taking their guidance and their different like biases or experiences and mirroring it in some way like we're learning how to program a client and we're learning how to build our business model and Oftentimes, in how we communicate out into the greater industry, people will be able to tell based on words or language or tone or style who that person's mentors are. And as time goes on, that person finds their own footing. Like we can reflect on probably different trainers who came through uh, Cressy's gym or Mike Boyle's gym or any like prominent gym with like a single like mentor and we can see how like you could totally tell what gym that person came from but then as they find their own footing and build their own brand then they start to differentiate themselves and then they are like a standalone figure in the industry yes dude like i'd never thought about that way but really like whenever you're allowing yourself to imitate to whatever degree that i've never thought about so kudos that's a that was a good point like it's it's literally just a mentorship like yeah. you're learning how to do it under somebody's wing i uh i consulted with brian cron for like two three i don't know maybe four years three or four years um and he like i would see his programming and and brian's such a smart like programmer 
And he would literally like use strategies often and would mention it like, cause his two of his bigger influences, he probably has a bunch at this point were uh, Charles Poliquin, right? And then um, John Meadows, right? So both, you know, uh, you know, recently passed, but, and he would like, hey, like, you know, this is a, a literal like circuit that I got from Poliquin or Meadows or whatever. Um, and he would just own it, right? Like, because it's like a tool he started to learn. And that's, that, like you said, it really is like, you learn from them, then you start to kind of put your own spin on it. And, and the, the initial influence goes from being an imitation to like a tool in the toolbox kind of deal. But the mentorship thing is, it's dope because that's literally what it is. And I never thought about that. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I I always promote having a mentor on this show, but the thing that I might, like, over overlook or just not highlight enough is having a mentor outside of the industry, too. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the other day, I kind of collaborated with a local business owner. He's doing some stuff to give back to the city. Um, so they are financing some some properties that people will be able to live in for up to a year, and we're looking at... Uh, getting some clothes to people and just being able to have a meeting of the minds with people who are at like dramatically different stages of our Mm -hmm. life. Like these guys retired in like their mid thirties, mid twenties because of like smart moves that they made with business. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, there is an opportunity to learn from people if you have the right attitude and if you have the initiative to do things beyond just your own, like, for me, I was doing things beyond my own best interest by like volunteering or donating or whatever in collaboration with these guys' vision. And like mm-hmm. from a business standpoint, like obviously it's advantageous for them to be the the people like kicking this off because from a business standpoint, like there it's a charitable donation, all these other things. But for me, from a personal development standpoint, like you're the product of the people that you surround yourself by. And if I'm only surrounding myself by the people in my industry, then I'm limited to what the industry has done so far. But if I'm surrounded by people beyond my industry, then I get to be someone who is coming up with things that the industry hasn't done and et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. So the, yeah, the bunch of good stuff, like, yeah, finding mentors outside of your industry is huge because as you said, like, if you're just like, you know, or a collection of the people you surround yourself within the industry, that the ceiling for you is always going to be the industry's current ceiling. Um, whenever you, you know, I don't know, get influence from people outside of it, it just kind of raises the potential and you're not, you don't have that sort of governor on you. Another thing people need to remember is like, like a mentor doesn't always have, in your case it was, right? Someone you knew you went and worked with. A mentor is 100% can be someone that you don't know, right? So like, you know, I mentioned Ron Holiday earlier, like his fucking mentors, like Marcus Aurelius, you know what I'm saying? Like, or whatever the meditation dude name is. Um, that's one of his mentors. And that's why, like, once again, like that sort of imitation phase, it is just a mentorship with someone you don't know. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, it's you learning from them from afar. Um, so I think it is like, whether you, obviously it's always, you know, you get the special touch if you can experience them in person. Um, but yeah, like find people, learn from them, you know, allow yourself to like, really like kind of like go through that internship process whether they are aware of it or not you know what i'm saying that's really how you grow and how you learn and it starts to diversify like your talents you know what i'm saying so yeah that's yeah yeah i think i think too few people do that i get it initially especially in the fitness industry you you're trying to learn like the how to so you're going to cressy boil like whoever meadows um like learn which meadows now you have to like you can't learn from in person unfortunately um 
So I get that part, but then once you kind of get your base, especially if you're trying to, you know, build your business, like actually be an entrepreneur, because being a coach and being an entrepreneur, are two different things. Um, you need to get other influences. You need to how to you need to know how to do this because you know you can learn how to do squats all you want, right? That's going to teach you how to like automate a payment. You know what I'm saying? So getting influences outside is is huge. And I I think also if you're going to learn like creativity, business strategy, or whatever, try to go learn from people who are just teaching that, not people who are teaching it to a subsector. And this is nothing against people that you know specialize in business for coaches and stuff like that. Cause that's technically what I do. I primarily work with coaches a little bit outside, but it's just the, the social circle I'm in. So that's what I prioritize or, or whatever. Um, but learning business ideas, strategy, and I, I say business, I almost hate the term cause it's such an umbrella term. Business means nothing. It's a bunch of other things. Like it's a bunch of things under the umbrella, but going outside of like just for coaches, that's actually what's going to get you a unique spin on things. With that said, though, there are some very brilliant people. Andy Morgan, he uh, he runs Rip Body. He has such a savvy, clever like approach to everything. So there are good people, um, but the more you can kind of branch outside, it, it's 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 huge. Mm -hmm. um, to kind of keep us on track with our episode, I, I could foresee us doing like a part two of this somewhere down the road. But uh, yeah, for, of course, yeah. Um, one thing that kind of has stood out to me as of late with just my observations in the world and stuff is just like communication, like being in high communication with people and just being able to um, deliver and receive feedback uh, just in the sense that if we leave feedback on the table, we're losing out on an opportunity to get better. Um, even if that feedback doesn't feel good to take, uh, we should take it like it's in our best interests to hear what people say to us, even if it's a complete disagreement. Mm -hmm. If, if you were to give someone advice on how to be in high communication around feedback, cause you're a very strong communicator. Thank you. What yeah. would that advice be? So, so two parts, um, feedback comes like every which way. So sometimes it's people telling you a specific thing, whether it's solicited or not, like you run a, you know, end of session survey for a, a, a member that or a client that's moving on. Um, or, it's, you know, come up, comes unsolicited, like someone's like, Oh, like, this podcast sucks. Like you should have titled it this or like, whatever, like, you know, it, sometimes it's vocal stuff. Other times it, it's not vocal it's stuff you actually have to pay attention to you have to listen to. Um, one of my favorite kind of concepts is like you make noise and listen for a signal. So you do stuff and then the signal being like there's feedback hitting you. Like when you create, maybe it gets silence, right? Maybe it gets, you know, in which case, you know, like, oh, like you ask yourself, what could I like, what, how, why did this thing struggle? Or maybe you put something out there and it does get a lot of good feedback. Maybe not a ton of likes, but there are a few people that comment that really, really resonate, right? And, you know, like, oh, cool. So this is like a resonant topic. Um, so that's one thing. It's like listening to every form of feedback, not just the vocal con, right? Sometimes it's uncomfortable if it's stuff that you don't, like like asking yourself like why didn't this hit and stuff like that but that's really how you learn and grow now in terms of asking for feedback i think it's i think there's like a few there's like a few like bottlenecks there where people tend to ask for feedback because like in such a way that is how do i say this like just because they think they're supposed to like hey did you enjoy this this you know, session with me or whatever. Um, 
but like you're not going to get great feedback that way whenever you're asking for feedback you almost want to not ask everything you want to ask like the one thing you actually want to know and a lot of times you, you almost have to ask it like two different ways and it's the second one that that actually gets like what you're trying to hear right um like whether it be like you know people tell you hey they don't want to re-up right and you know it's like hey like what could we have done better blah blah and they say this and then you ask you know a second question like you know i don't know like in the future like what would bring you back or something like that and then they give you the real answer right so people a you need to make sure any kind of feedback you're soliciting is actually what you want to know and and also stuff not just to make you feel good like hey like would you give this a thumbs up like you know what was your favorite part about this like and yeah. stuff like that like you need to actually ask what you want to know that you're going to get the most helpful like piece of feedback from so really ask yourself like hey what area do i really need to grow what area am i trying to figure out how can i figure out how to ask that one or two different ways and, and make sure you do it that way um i think that is really really the key and then also feedback needs to come from not just like people like fail to realize how many different people they can ask feedback from right so maybe it's someone that didn't sign up for a session that their feedback is very very useful like they they didn't sign up sometimes people just solicit just like their their current clients and stuff like that or people that run a coaching business you know, especially if the, the coaches are contractors, they'll solicit like the members, the clients, but they won't talk to the coaches. But, you know, especially in the contracting business, like coaches are users too. You need to talk to them, right? Um, so it's just making sure like, hey, am I talking to everybody I can should be? Am I asking the questions I actually want to know, need to know? And and then also like, am I asking shit I don't need to know? In which case, don't fucking ask it. Like you're wasting everybody's time and it's just going to drown out the stuff you do want to know, mm-hmm. you know? So that's kind of, you know, a little roundabout, but the feedback is so, to be honest, feedback is just fucking poorly approached, to be honest, by most people. Um, and then also a really important part is like making sure you actually want it. Everybody says they want feedback. Everybody will tell you like, oh, feedback's so important. It's how you grow. It's how you learn, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then whenever you get feedback, like that person gets feedback that they don't necessarily want, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, they don't know what they're talking about or they didn't try, like with a member or a client, right? So like you have a member, or a client, they don't follow through on the program so they have a negative experience and you're like oh well they weren't they weren't committed and you start to kind of just follow well, their opinion doesn't matter and while that might be valid and sometimes it absolutely is it it's still like okay well why didn't they follow through why did they like not you know why what caused this negative experience it's partially them but is there something i can figure out not just you know being like oh well their opinion doesn't matter they suck that's not helpful and that's a really arrogant entitled way of approaching it unfortunately it's so subconscious and so natural because it's like a defense mechanism that we all tend to do it. So taking the time to, to ask yourself like, hey, am I actually seeking feedback or am I just doing this just because I think I'm supposed to? And that's a really important question that, to be honest, most people are not actually asking for feedback. So you need to dig into it and make sure that like, OK, maybe I'm not like I need to kind of embrace this or whatever. Um, so that's just, you know, kind of a scatterboard of thoughts about feedback. But, yeah, it's it's poorly approached in it, but it's critical, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that you got me thinking about all kinds of stuff, so I'm going to kind of pinpoint some of it. And some of the stuff that I thought about is sometimes we have an opportunity to almost uh, reduce the need for conversations around feedback afterwards by sort of like uh, giving them the floor in the beginning stages. So recently I had an in-person training session. Before we got started, I was like, hey, before we get going, I obviously have a plan in mind for our workout today. But uh, off the top of your head, are there any exercises that you really wanted to focus on today? 
And my, my client didn't really have an answer for that. She was totally open to just going with what I had planned. And mm. she was kind of bought into the process that we're basically working on giving her autonomy and allowing her to go on more hikes and reduce injury and have a better understanding of like how she's doing the workouts that she's already doing. But by taking that moment to kind of give them the floor, it was a big opportunity that reduced the need to be like, how was that for you? Because we kind of, we set the tone for the session. And in a lot of times, like my uh, strategy sessions with online clients, it'll be the same thing. Like uh, if I can tell that there's like a stumbling block or something that might be troublesome for them in their life, um, I'll kind of just uh, give them some space to take the floor and yeah. kind of set set the tone for them to have more control of the direction of the conversation and just leave pauses and give them space and not always look to fill in the gaps. And that kind of communication style is huge, especially like particularly in the online space because all we have is these conversations. But just in like client retention in general, because just by taking that approach and giving the person that you're talking to more just power, um, then, then you're allowing them to equip you to help them more. Yeah. There's a, uh, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. That's a conversation you've been saying that, you know, it's always wild. Like when you, you're on like a podcast and the pe people are asking you questions and you're giving answers. It's always so interesting whenever the, the get the host rather in, in, you know, in you in this case, like says things, you're like, Oh fuck it. You know, like I'd never thought about it that way. Um, but yeah, like giving them like a very simple, there's like this sort of law of life that like the thing, like if you over pursue something, it'll elude you, right? Like if you try to really grit down and like, you know, you just overdo it in the thing and you miss it. Um, and what I mean by that is like, in your case, like just kind of give them the floor, like give them a very basic question, allow them to kind of express themselves however they like is the expressive qualities will make themselves apparent. They'll find a way to kind of, you know, whittle out um, versus like when you're too targeted with the question, while there's space for that, a lot of the time you almost throttle the uh, the the ability, like the openness, the the room for them to say whatever they have to say. I was listening to a podcast recently with a guy named uh, Daniel Gross, and he runs a like a growth accelerator for like new businesses, like startups during the acquisition, the the funding phase, um, or not the acquisition, the funding phase. And um, he was talking about hiring people and how, and this is what this reminded me of. Um, he was talking about like whenever you go to hire, like with interview questions, he tries to ask like very basic, simple questions. Um, what a lot of people do when they're hiring people is they try to like, like provoke a very clever response or something like that. So, it's, you know, there's a, he's an example of like, forget the dude's name who had this question, but it was like, a, like, what's, uh, what's, you know, the opinion you hold strongest that most people would disagree with. And it's trying to get people to be clever, right? He said, Daniel said that like a better take would be to answer, just ask a very simple open-ended question and the clever people will make themselves apparent as opposed to going to search for it. And you get all these like kind of performative answers. And like, like once again, what people, they say what they think they're supposed to say. That's why the feedback surveys sometimes are difficult. People to say what they think they're supposed to say on a feedback survey. If they like you, you know, they, they fluff you up. If they hate you, they tear you down. Um, but if you ask a very open-ended question, like in your case, like, hey, is there anything you don't like? Is there stuff you do like? Like whatever, they'll, the real thing will express itself. It won't be performative. It'll, it'll just kind of come out and they'll say like, like, yeah, you know, I, I like everything, but I'll tell you what, I don't like those. And that's super fucking important. 
And it came out of a question that wasn't even trying to get that because you gave them the space to really operate. Um, and I think that's a, once again, like, like asking the right questions, going about it the right way, like it works. I've thought about that before, obviously in the hiring process, but I've never thought about it in the feedback process, but in, in many ways, they're the exact same thing. Like you're mm -hmm. trying to get people to express themselves in, in such a way that's valuable and helpful for you and for them, but for you. So each episode, we kind of set up the audience with a challenge for the day. Um, just something that uh, they can take action with within 24 hours. So if mm -hmm. you were to impart a challenge for the audience, what would it be? So, yeah, so most people listen to this, I would assume are going to be coaches, you know, people that are trying to learn about fitness, so just general population type people, or people that are trying to like, you know, grow their business and stuff like that. The thing about all those types of people is most often there's something they've been wanting to do. Like, hey, I want to start creating content. I want to start going to the gym. I want to start. And when I say this, a lot of people, if they're actively listening, that thing probably just popped in their head. The thing that they keep thinking about, they keep wanting to do. What I would say is you need to just go do it one time, right? Um, I, I, there's the biggest step, the first step is always the hardest step, which makes it difficult to do, understandably. Um, but the good news is like once you get the one thing out of the way, every other step becomes a little bit easier. So I would encourage people like whatever that thing is that you're thinking about, whether it's starting to create content, whether it's doing your, you know, finally finishing up your coaching, you know, onboarding sequence, like whatever it is, like whatever that thing is, it's been sitting on your shoulder, go do it, right? Because hey, you're going to get better. It's going to get easier. But also you won't have the weight of that thing on your shoulders anymore. You you'll go from being someone that wants to do something to someone that is doing something. And that's a really empowering um, kind of threshold to cross. So that's, that would be my challenge. Go do the thing you keep wanting to do. Perfect. Love it. Um, how do people add you to their favorites on Instagram if they're going to follow you yeah. and keep in the loop? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I told people to do that recently, and I realized it's not the easiest thing to do. So if you go follow me on Instagram at Nick Sorrell, so S-O-R-R-E-L-L, -L, um, you would hit follow. And then with that same follow button, there should be a drop down. And it's how you would unfollow me and stuff like that. It's also how you add me to your close friends. But there's a tab now where it's add me to your favorites. So if you go to my page, you like my stuff, right? And you want to make sure you do see it, add me to your favorites. That way I do pop up in your feed and you do get to see it. And it'll make me feel good that I asked for it, right? And you and you followed up. So that's that's how you follow. That's how uh, you add me to, to uh, your favorites. Absolutely. That's that's one of the biggest takeaways that a person can do because from there they can check out your website. They can uh, mm -hmm. hop on your email list. And yeah. uh, I highly recommend it. But uh, with that out of the way, uh, back on the show and uh, having this awesome conversation with me. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it.